I'm Chef Pete Gagan from Cargill, and we're in the kitchen with Sterling Silver Premium Meats. It's a podcast where we'll be serving up insights and perspectives for chefs and food service professionals. And of course, we'll be digging into the world of premium beef. Because even with over 30 years of culinary experience, I still have an appetite for learning more. I hope you're hungry too. This is part two of a two-part episode. If you missed the first part, be sure to go back and enjoy part one. And don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss a single episode. Welcome back to In the Kitchen with Sterling Silver. Today, we're picking up our conversation with restaurant consultant, hospitality expert, and TV personality, Chef Brian Duffy, on ways restaurant owners and operators can stand out in the ever-changing dining landscape. Let's get back into the discussion, Chef. Yeah, man. In most menus, you're going to find beef, whether it's in a hamburger form or a steak form, kebab form. It's just so many different ways. What do your clients think about beef on the menu and, and how they want to sell it? Whenever I menu something, I break things down into categories. So I'm always going to have some version of a poultry on, a fish. I'm absolutely going to put pork on a menu no matter what. And I'm always going to put a beef, whether it be in a burger form, whether it be in a steak form, whether it be, you know, I mean, the levels of what you can do with them is massive. You know, are we going to start throwing beef tongue on on your average gastropub menu or your average corner bar menu? No, it's not going to happen. Don't get me wrong. There are some places that it can. I was just in Spain and I had a beef tongue over there that was unbelievable. I'm sure. But for me, if I want to put beef on a menu, I want to do something special. You know, it's like when I had my barbecue place, I would take my briskets and I loved breaking down briskets because most people break down a brisket and they break off roughly 12 to 18 percent of the fat. So for me, I utilized as much of that beef as possible. When I would do my briskets, I'd take that off. I would put it in a perf pan, drop it in my smoker. I would smoke it till it became a solid where I'd have all my liquid melted out. I'd then freeze the solid, and then I'd take that smoked beef fat, that solid of it, and i grate it up and put it in my burgers. Mm-hmm. So it's like I want to see people doing more creative things with it rather than just a basic steak on a menu or a basic burger. Like, I really want to see things that are super fun. I love seeing great meatballs. And, you know, if you're going to go in a Spanish style, like an albandiga or something to that effect. But, look, I love getting a prime rib in. I love smoking a prime rib. And I'll cook it to 119, 121 degrees. And then I'll, I'll put it in my freezer for an hour and a half, get it nice and cold and chilled and ready to rock and roll. And then I'll slice it up. And that's how I make my cheesesteaks. Sure. Americans expect beef. It's our job to bring them beef, but on a fun level. And don't get me wrong, I love a big, fat, dry-aged steak. I love a prime rib in a corner bar in the middle of the country somewhere because they only do it one night a week. These are the things that I love and that I love to see because when I see that, and I say that because there's a little place in upstate New York that I was driving around. I found this tiny little corner bar. There were 10 cars in the parking lot, and I walked in, and, and nine people had prime rib in front of them because it was Thursday night prime rib night. Mm-hmm. And it was twenty six ninety five, and I got a salad and a baked potato and a vegetable. Just made me feel like I was in America. <laughs> it was delicious. They had a beautiful side of jus. They had fresh horseradish off to the side, like so classic, so simple. But they focused on it one night a week. 
That to me is a great use of beef. Now, what did they do the next day? They made prime rib sandwiches. They made prime rib egg rolls. There was so much creativity utilized because of one night of product that that's what I love to see when I see menus. Yeah, no, that's important, right? There's a lot of beef on that animal, and it's yep. not all going to be T-bones and fillets and stuff, but no. you have to get creative. It seems like everywhere you go, everybody has, you know, a strip steak. Everybody has a top sirloin steak. Everybody has a skirt steak or something like that. Which are fun cuts now. Love them all. But there's so much that you can do with everything that's on that animal. Yeah. I love what you said, and I've been seeing that out there more often where people are smoking the fat. Don't throw it away because that's money. You're adding value now to, say, you're bringing in some 80-20 and you're grinding up some of that smoked fat. You're making it 75-25, and, yep. and now you've got more indulgent. But, like, wow, this is different. This is not like any other burger in town because you took that time to do that. We're also taking that liquid, quote unquote, fat that we have. And mm -hmm. now that's how I, you know, when I put an egg on top of a burger, it's being cooked in, in smoked brisket fat. Oh. <laughs> you know, when I'm sauteing up my onions that I'm going to make my chili, it's being done in a smoked brisket fat. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not, I mean, it's, and don't get me wrong, it's going with butter as well. If you've ever seen me, I'm no stranger to some butter. But it's a product that we would typically throw away. Or if you want to buy beef tallow, like, come on, man, let's be realistic. How much are you paying for tallow at this point? But yeah. I just paid for it on my brisket, but now I'm going to throw it in my trash. Like, these are the things that I take a look at when I, when I, when I see menus and I, and I go into kitchens and I watch the amount of waste. How many people are reaching down for a blended oil? When in reality, I can take the 22 pounds of brisket fat that I just pulled out and I can yield myself a gallon and a half of a fat that I can cook in. Yep. But we've got to get blended oil. We've got to get this. Well, let's talk about the flashpoint of it. Well, hold on a second. If you know what the flashpoint is, then you, you work your product that way. Mm -hmm. We've become too complacent. You know what? Just send me some blended oil just so I have something to saute with. Instead of using a true quality product and accounting for it, it's like I asked last night, I wanted sauteed broccoli because it was the only vegetable they had on the damn menu. I'm sorry. They had that and they had seasonal. Chef, do you know what the seasonal vegetables were last night? I can only imagine. Tell no. me. You tell me. I know you know what they are. Is it broccoli and uh, no, uh, red broccoli peppers was or something? Special. The oh, broccoli was broccoli special. Was special. The seasonal okay. vegetables were zucchini, squash, carrots, and red onions. Okay, when I was the corporate chef of a restaurant, and I had 17 restaurants underneath of me, during the summer, I 86 zucchini, squash, and carrots as vegetables. None of my chefs were allowed to use them because it's something we fall back on. It's something you just, shit, I got to get veg out real quick. What am I going to do for tonight? You know what? Just give me some half moons, man. Bang out some zuc and squash. Like... We all know that's what happens. Well, when you saute it, it, it takes on too much oil. You don't use the right oil, it ends up becoming super greasy. Like, there's too much liquid in there because of the seeds, because there's like, there's not enough play. People no. don't play with food enough, and I want to see people be more creative. I want to see yeah. people making waves when it comes to food. Do something different with beef than just putting a steak on. Yeah. I feel we're lucky with beef with what we've come up with in the last bunch of years. I mean, you take a look at a tri-tip, which is still a total Western portion of the world. World, and the East Coast doesn't really get it as much. But mm -hmm. guess what? When you smoke that and you put a great crust on it and you slice it down, that makes one hell of a sandwich. My okay? favorite. When you it's look at that skirt steak or you're taking a look at any of these newer cuts that we've seen in the last 15 to 20 years, there's a lot of really good things happening. But let me ask you a question. Whatever happened to the Vegas cut steak? Do you remember that? 
Vegas cut steak. Uh, recently, was, I remember reading something about that. Was it off of like the Chuck area? Was it like something yes, like that? Exactly. Vegas cut. I'm going to look it up real quick. And actually, Wolfgang Puck serves one. Vegas cut steak came out for a while. I remember seeing it, but then that was it. I never saw it again. They really, really tried. They did a whole marketing campaign behind it mm-hmm. about how they found a new steak. Um, <laughs> the steak itself comes from the subscapularis muscle, which lies between the shoulder blade and it lies beneath a cow's shoulder blade. And it's yeah. a delicious steak. But it just disappeared. Sure. It's coming off of the chuck, I believe, there, right? Yeah. Or the collade. So, yeah, probably what it comes down to is no one wants to deal with it. It's probably just a small piece and there's two of them on the animal and that's that, right? Exactly. It's not They got to farm for it, dig through it. Yeah. It's, and for a restaurateur to just bring in a whole bunch of those clods, unless they're grinding them for something or using them for something else, it's probably one of those tough ones. And it's so it, it came out in 2017 and Oklahoma State University <laughs> were the ones that created, yep. they put the patent out for that. And it's awesome that research is being done like that. There's so many muscles on that animal and there's little nuggets here and there, but from a financial standpoint, it's not as easy to get at, whether it's at the steak cutter level or even in your restaurant. If you're bringing in enough and you know you're smoking a whole bunch of beef and you're going to smoke these clods just to make shredded beef and, hey, you keep pulling that one muscle out, put it aside, freeze them or something until you have enough to run a special, that's something you can do. But it gets a little tough sometimes to bring it in on a normal level. But if you want to set yourself apart, Talk to your meat purveyors over there. Maybe someone else is needing another part of that cut or, you know, that whole muscle for something else, and they'd be willing to take that out for you. I also think that we're not training our reps on the food and on the broadline to purveyor. Let's be realistic, okay? We're not training our reps about alternative cuts. We're not training them on different methods and newer products. What I see when I get creative with a rep is when it's either a rep who's been around for a little while or a rep who was once a chef. Chef reps were the best. They're the absolute best because they get what we're talking about. They know and I say like, hey, I want to do beef, man. What do you got for me? Average rep's going to be like, I got some ground beef for you. I got some cowboy steaks over here. I got like, that's the average conversation Mm -hmm. instead of me saying, okay, I want to do something different. Show me something different, you know, and they go through and they, they end up finding some really good products or I love to reach directly out to the manufacturer, you know, like meeting you guys and talking to you guys in March and hearing about the stuff that you guys were carrying was super fun for me. Sure. You know, knowing about the slider burgers that you guys brought out, what it was made from. And and look, it's just a slider burger, but it was a delicious slider, you know, and there's something to be said about that. The quality of the beef that was coming in from it, the way that you guys seasoned it, the way that you guys, you know, utilized it and what happened with it. I know we had a weird world with the rolls and all the other (laughs) stuff. You know, when I start talking to a chef, especially somebody who works with a purveyor or a manufacturer, it's a completely different conversation that I'm having with my reps. And this is where we've turned into the world now. When was the last time that a rep from Cargill or something like that came into the restaurant and really had a conversation with a chef to find out what they're looking for. Sure. We don't do that anymore. Yeah. The, the days of stop-bys and dropping product off or samples are so far gone that we're not showcasing new products because that's not happening. We're not educating 
unless we're showcasing it at a food show, you know, a Vegas cut steak might get lost amongst the new crispy on delivery French fry. You're right. Yep. So, Chef, this is the point in the podcast where I love to ask my guests, you know, when it comes to beef and you're, whether you're going to a restaurant or, or cooking at home, what is your go-to cut? Dude, I'm, I'm a Fred Flintstone guy. Okay. I love a big, fat beef rib. Okay. There's something about the art of cooking a beef rib that is just a plate rib that is so unbelievable. Super simple. I love a little bit of salt, pepper, a touch of ground coffee that goes into that as well. I don't inject them or get involved in all that. I leave them whole in that three-bone rack. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love to smoke a beef rib. You know, and I love that six to seven hour cook time that fat renders throughout it. It's still got a really good consistency all the way through. That to me is like the epitome of that. But if I'm at home and I want to do something outside, I actually have a grill that I designed with a friend that is a wood fired grill. And I've got a beautiful cast iron plate that slides and swings around on top of it. Mm. And for me, There is just nothing better than like leaving that dry age ribeye in a lower temp smoker, letting that flavor hit it just a tiny bit, pulling it out and then searing it right off the bat. Oh, yeah. Getting that fat to come out of it, using that smoked tallow, that smoked beef fat that goes into there. And then even like I love growing green onions and spring onions and all that stuff that I've got in my garden right now. And my garden is in a very small 16 by 16 space. Not that I have this grandiose property, but I've got my stuff out there and I love like pulling a tomato off the vine, cutting it in half, really good flaked salt on top of it, which you can get at Worst Pot. Just saying. <laughs> and uh, putting that really good salt on there and just searing the tomato. Cutting sure. that spring onion, that green onion in half and just letting it cook up. Getting a leek, something to that effect. Like sure. Yeah, any that of that stuff awesome. that I can pull and cook in that fat a little bit is what makes me really happy. And then, brother, I am a smash burger guy across the board. No good bar has a bad burger. If you have a bad burger, you got a bad bar. <laughs> you know, and I'm not telling everybody to go out and buy, you know, ground beef and start grinding it on your own and getting involved in all that, but buy a good quality burger. Get something that you can enhance via the toppings, the seasoning that you're going to put on it. And the other thing for me is it all comes down to technique. You know, that natural process of Maillard, that natural caramelization of the meat that happens before you do anything to it is the most important part of it. Getting a good quality product that you can cook and season up and get done really well. But that technique is so, so, so important. I watch too many people in restaurants who don't season stuff or, you know, they put a steak on the grill and then they flip it over and then they season the top of the steak after it's already been seared. Like That's like throwing sand against a wall. It's (laughs) It's exactly that. Yeah. You know, it's like. I don't get that ever. No, it doesn't make sense. And I watch people like who will hold a burger in their hand. And then put it right on that griddle, griddle or grill, whatever it is, whether it's an eight ounce burger or a four ounce burger, you mm-hmm. know, and, th- and then they, then they flip it over and they season it. And I'm like, that's going to suck. <laughs> it all just bounce off. You yeah, know, it's no, like, let that's that, no, let no that, good. Yeah. Let that salt, let that do its job. There's too many cooks out there that are trying to be chefs that don't understand the basics of how food cooks. Yeah. And beef is what we assume one of the easiest things to do, but there's really some technique that goes into it that we're not teaching people anymore. It's very simple technique. 
Yeah. It's not really that hard, but you you have to want to make it better, right? If you go on YouTube and just actually start searching stuff and it shows you the proper way to sear or as you mentioned cast iron skillet, right? There's a million different ways to cook a burger or a steak. If it doing it right, they're not seasoning it after the fact. Maybe they'll slice that steak up and, and throw a little flake salt on it after the fact. But they definitely yeah. seasoned it beforehand. You know, what I don't hear enough people talk about is dry brining. And I had some other conversations with other chefs about that. And, and adding your salt, what does that salt do? It pulls the moisture to the top. And then it goes and pulls it back in and it brings the salt with it in. So now you're flavoring up that steak. But that's not going to happen once you've started to uh, denature the protein with the heat. <laughs> it, it's not pulling anything in. It's, not it's just it going to bounce right off. Yeah. I also talked about going to other countries and, and how people tend to season with like big chunks, big rock salt and things like that. And yeah. I'm like, guys, this is not really the best way to season right. meat. And then they sprinkle it on afterwards and half of it still bounces off then too. I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's talk about the proper salt and the proper way to season. You know what? One of my favorite, like when I get a really good beef, a really good steak, like you look at it, whether it's dry aged, whether it's just a beautifully marbled piece of meat or whatever it is, my go-to garnish is lime zest. Right on a microplane, just a little touch of it. There's Ooh. something about that citrus that mm -hmm. opens up beef so much. There's something about it. I feel like I can, and this is going to sound weird if anybody's out there and you're vegetarian or vegan or plant-based or whatever it is, but I feel like I can almost, I'm enhancing the blood. Like there's just something by biting into that unctuous, okay. sharp, rich flavor of lime when it hits. And I'm not talking about... And, and most people zest citrus the wrong way anyway. I know I say this. They go back and forth on it instead of doing one pull. It's that first outer layer, that micro-thin epidermis, the outer layer of the skin, that just that simple oily layer that comes off of the outside of a lemon, lime, blood, orange, whatever you're going to yep. do that is so unbelievably enhancing to a product. So the next time you guys do a steak, trust me, do it the regular way. Cook it up, grill it, sear it, baste it, do whatever you have to do with it. Get your thyme and your rosemary and your garlic in with that big fat butter or whatever you're going to use to cook that steak up. But when you're done slicing it and you season it perfectly with some good flake sea salt, whether it be a Maldon or a worse pot, something to that effect, you want to get that good heavy grain finishing salt on there. Then just take a microplane and just run the microplane across the top of that lime one time. Get those couple little strands and just sprinkle them right on top of your steak, and you will thank me for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it sounds so think good. About that like delicious, crunchy fat piece off to the side. Yeah. It just got enhanced with salt and a tiny bit of citrus. It opens up everything that's going to happen after that. That's it. That's about trying different things. So even in your restaurant, if you were to take it and just do that, just wave it right over each steak that went out there. It's just why is your exactly. steak now the one that everybody's talking about in town? And I didn't sprinkle it over my elbow. No. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no doubt. 
Well, hey, Chef, I truly appreciate your time today and uh, just learning a little bit more about you. And uh, I'm hoping yeah, that, you know, our paths cross again. I'm sure they will in, in the near future. I could tell with your passion, your clients are, uh, uh, I'd say, lucky to have you. You understand what it takes to make a business work and also to just bring passion into the back of the house and front of the house, I'm sure, too. I know there's a lot of consultants out there that do unbelievable things and do an amazing job. But for me, and this is going to come off very weird, a lot of my clients have said to me that it's kind of like I'm a muse in a way, you know, because I want my clients to see things differently than just what other people are doing. And I want them to see the impact that we have on people's lives by creating really cool experiences for them. So... I might just be serving you a BLT, but there's a method in the madness to the way that we put it together that when we salt those tomatoes, those tomatoes start to leak into the sandwich a little bit to create more flavor. And these are the things that I want people to see. So when with my clients, when I work with them, I really get in very deep with them. Like, why do you want to put this on a menu? What is your reasoning? What is what you know, tell me why. Like, I want to know the why behind things. So then I can build that into the story of the menu or whatever it's we're gonna do. And the other thing is really I try to tell everybody not to be like everybody else. You know, in a world where everybody's trying to be the same, we need to find different areas of being different so that we can create and really feel good about what it is that we're doing. So, you know, and it's things like this, having conversations like this, that we're able to educate people uh, just about thinking outside of the box. I mean, uh, how many people are going to leave this podcast and want to put a lime zest on their steak right now? That's what I want to hear about. So look, if you guys are doing that and you're trying it, then do me <laughs> yeah. a favor, take a picture of it, send it to me on Instagram, tag me in your picture. I'm Chef Bryduff. Uh, I want to see it. I want to know about it. I want to see what people are doing differently so that we can start to show the world that it's not just the same thing over and over again. I hear you, man. I appreciate it. And we'll talk to you soon, Chef. Cheers, guys. And listeners, thank you for joining us on In the Kitchen with Sterling Silver. Be sure to join us next time as we continue to slice into the amazing world of beef. Until then, happy eating. To get the next episode delivered to your inbox, subscribe on our website, sterlingsilvermeats.com. Just sign up for our e-newsletter at the top of the page. You can also subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms. And be sure to follow at Sterling Silver Premium Meats on Instagram. Until next time, we'll see you in the kitchen with Sterling Silver Premium Meats.